eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I am joined by Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. That means it is the day after podcast. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Rate us and review us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or however you consume your podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, click the subscribe link to get all this stuff delivered straight to your smartphone or whatever, however you get it because you're going to want to hear this one, folks. Buck, uh, you know, a lot of talk about doing this podcast last night. Full disclosure, it's 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. Um, I didn't want to do it last night because I didn't know what to say. Um, I didn't, I had no idea what to say. And Buck, I feel the same way now, roughly 15 hours later. What say it to you? Well, um, if I was a Miami fan, I would quote uh, Manny Diaz, and Derek King and say, we got our ass kicked, um, you know, and, and that's just, uh, the plain and simple of it really, uh, North Carolina, you know, came off the bus, you know, with both guns out of the holster and just didn't stop until it was over with. And I, guns. I, I never, I think, ex- they, I think they came, came with some heavier duty stuff than guns <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Howitzers. So who knows? Um, the, uh, no, you know, I knew, and I think everybody knew that North Carolina was capable of winning this game. You know, I, it, the team, two teams were close enough that we could see it being a, uh, 28, 25 win like last year. We knew that Miami was a much improved team offensively than they were a year ago, although they only managed to score one more point than they did last year. But I don't know, and we, we'll talk about the offensive fireworks, but the defense played exceptionally well. They played really, really well. Um, they held Miami to like 317 yards, 2.8, a carry, running the ball. At Grimes' interception, and we should talk about that at some point because I think that's got major implications going forward, uh, the way he intercepted that pass. Um, so, you know, I don't think any of us expected to see what we saw and explains our loss of words uh, last night to talk about it. Um, you know, at one point, I didn't even care what Miami did. They could score or not score because I knew they had to kick the ball back to North Carolina at some point. 
and they just be off to the races again. So um, that's how kind of how the game got for me. I was looking at the GameCast uh, coverage of it uh, this morning, actually, and I think somewhere near the end of the first quarter, um, GameCast had North Carolina with 100% probability of win. <laughs> or 99.8 or whatever it was by like the end of the first quarter. Um, so uh, just congratulations to the team, Michael Carter and uh, Javante. It was impressive that they could do that without any Sam Howell heroics. Um, and, you know, just hats off to them. They just played their butts off and Miami did not. So your your comment right there at the end is how I'll take it to Jason. Uh, Jason, if Sam Howell would have thrown for 550 yards and Carolina would have scored 62 points and they won in a shootout, I could have seen that. You know, I, I could have, yeah. That's the kind of game we all thought might would happen. But 554 yards rushing and 308 and 236, I mean – Carolina just didn't win. And this is the statement, and we can talk about this in the second half of the show, but Carolina walked down there, walked in there, and took Miami's manhood and just beat them senseless with those two guys. I mean, that's why I'm at a loss for words. I have never seen that from a North Carolina football team. Maybe the Gator Bowl back in uh, 97, 98, where they beat Virginia Tech after Mac left, but I have never Still seen not that. No, not, yeah. not, not this level of physical domination and this level of just we're going we're gonna to stand in the middle of the ring, invite you in here, and then we're just going we're, we're to first round knockout. And then the thing is, the unfortunate thing for you is that the, the official is not going to call this fight in the first round. You're going to get knocked down four times in the first round. You're going to be you know, carried back to your corner. And then <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to come out for round two. That that analogy breaks down at some level, but I, we I take your point. But I mean that this was this was a uh, I, again I'll just say back in back in my day and and still carrying forward the 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 book on North Carolina football was always and this is what you know opponents have said and and, and everybody knows everybody every carolina fan knows that this is used in in recruiting pitches against North Carolina is ah you know they're as soft as that baby blue you know you hit them in the mouth and they they don't like that very much they look good at the airport yeah those guys you know they they're, they're you know they're they're a good team. They've always got good skill guys. They've even got some guys on on both both sides of the line of scrimmage. But they're just, you know, they they it's a baby blue team. What are you going to expect? That's what you hear, right? That's 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 what different different uh, different teams will say. Well, that what we saw last night or yesterday afternoon was not <laughs> a soft. Well, we did see a soft football team. <laughs> But it wasn't the ones wearing blue, right? That was, that was a physical team that decided we're going to be the more physical team and we're going to, we're going to come in and we're going to challenge your physicality because we don't think you're physical. And that's the, that's the next – I mean, if Carolina can, can harness that part of what we saw yesterday, 
that's a big part of becoming a championship level bully is you've got to be a bully. You look at the, at the teams that consistently blow teams out and then because no, because eight or nine games a year are just not close because of it. Those are teams that come in and physically impose their will on you as a football team. And that's what we saw from North Carolina last night. Now, can they sustain that? I can tell you right now that this is what Mac Brown and the coaching staff are going to be telling those guys that right there, what you guys just did. That's, that's the standard that we've been trying to hold y'all to that right there. Let's get to that standard and take that attitude into every game. Now, it is easier, hat tip to Mike Ingersoll, who knows that the, the, other, the, the other big stereotype that everybody, everybody who, who plays this team except for a rival knows is Miami is a bunch of front runners. And you hit them in the mouth and you, 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 you knock them down a couple times early and they, they, have, they have historically struggled to respond to that in the last couple decades. And we talked about this in the game plan podcast is like, look, if Carolina comes out and, and hits those guys in the mouth and goes up, you know, 14 points early and all of that, then all bets are off. Cause that team might fold. We talked about that and, you know, hat tip to Mike Ingersoll then, but man, I don't think any of us expected to see Miami fold like that. I mean, they just had no, it was one of those things. It was clear. They had no interest in tackling North Carolina's running backs. And they didn't have a whole lot of interest in meeting that offensive line in space either. So, yeah, seven, what was it, 700? Looking at it now, 778 total yards, 554 rushing yards. Uh, that, is, that is embarrassing, folks. And I, I, I do want to just call attention to another thing. Think about this from my perspective. Duke lost yesterday. Florida lost yesterday at home to blow any chance of a hope at, a, at the college football playoff. Miami got absolutely embarrassed. And then at the hands of UNC, <laughs> and for the first time all year, my alma mater looked kind of like they should on at least one side of the ball. So my other alma mater, I've got two alma maters. So you think about this from my perspective, did we just turn the corner in 2020? <laughs> right. I mean, did, are, are things headed the right direction now? Cause look, when, on a weekend when Florida, Miami and Duke all lose, I feel like something's going right in the cosmos right now. Like looking at how things, looking at what North Carolina did to Miami, that was the first, that was the first sign. We might, we might be, we might be moving into better territory guys. That, that vaccine, the vaccine stuff might be coming a little, little bit more promising than, than what anybody's thinking. It might come quicker because this stuff right here, that was a good afternoon. Certainly a bright spot uh, on a Saturday afternoon. But Jason mentioned a couple things. I, I mean, to me, the biggest thing that came out of this game is that Carolina just – they didn't uh, flash Miami. They pounded Miami. Um, and they've done it a lot this year. But let's, let's talk about some specific plays, but we talked about off the air. So um, I'm pretty pessimistic, and I think a lot of people know that. And I didn't think the game was over um, for a while. So one part, that, one sequence led me to believe this might be over. And that was the first drive of the third quarter buck. 
I mean, I've been waiting 49 years to see Carolina man up and play that kind of football. And then they come out there and do that um, against Miami and pretty much tell Miami, any hope you've got, bud, right here it goes, and just pound them on a seven-plus-minute drive. Again, never seen anything like it, Buck. Help me understand what we just saw in that sequence because that, that was different from Carolina football. And, you know, there was a um, specific moment in that sequence that we're talking about, and if people don't know, it's that run by Javante Williams. Um, there was a specific snapshot moment in that sequence that, you know, imparted that same feeling to me that you had that, that it, this is over. And that's when a Miami guy tried to tackle Javante and Javante based, basically knocked him out of his shoes. I mean, just both feet left the ground. The tackler did when Javante hit him. Um, and, and, that was, and that was one of Miami's hitters now. That, that was, was one of their five. guys that has a reputation of being a hitter. Yeah. It doesn't get that it you were you're not going to see a more Javante run than that Javante Williams run. Yeah, I mean he, he did some spectacular stuff before that. He hurdled a guy. He did some amazing stuff. Um, I think it may have been Gregory Hall that tweeted something like, um, "He he couldn't even make a player do that playing Madden." Yeah, you know. <laughs> he stole that guy's soul, man. Um, and so, you know, that, that specific moment in time when uh, Javante hit that guy, uh, you know, I, I had kind of the same thought that you did, is that um, there, there's no coming back from this. You know, you, you're just not going to come back from that to, to get um, just basically humiliated. Um about five times during that run, punctuated by, you know, knocking a guy like five feet in the air that's trying to tackle you. It was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I was right there with you, Tommy, on, on uh, the back-breaking moment that was uh, Javante's run there in the middle of the third quarter. How many plays from this game, guys, are going to wind up on the Keenan Stadium introductory video for years to come? Yeah, I, I don't know, a bunch. And a few. You, you know, uh, <laughs> as physical as, um, you know, and I want to come back to this point because I think it can get lost talking about this game. But there are some physical dudes on the defensive side of the ball for North Carolina, too. You're curious, Conley. It, it, people are going to hate to get on the field with him. I mean, he's a beast. Um, he Light is going came to mess on. some people up. Um, you know, he just is. I mean, he's just a, a really physical guy. He left the game. I hear that uh, he's okay. I think his dad may have tweeted out that he didn't break anything. The x-rays were negative or what have you. But, uh, I mean, not only is he a big guy, you know, to be playing safety, but he uses every bit of that bigness when he hits <laughs> Um, and, and so, and guys like that, I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, we're looking at on the defensive side of the ball is Clyde Pender had a sack. Conley had a sack. Grimes had a spectacular pick. I mean, um, those guys playing on defense, I looked at the 
defensive defensive stats and you know you get your name on the list if you've done something if you made a tackle or whatever and the only two people that scratched on that uh that you know made that list that aren't coming back next year or maybe won't be coming back are Surratt and uh, Tamon Fox everybody else on that list they're back and a lot of them are freshmen um so I, I think you know we talked about how Miami's offense got a lot better this year I think by the end of the season we saw glimmers of North Carolina's defense getting a lot better um and hats off to those guys and I don't think Bateman had to blitz nearly as much uh as he normally does uh, I think he was getting good pressure we're just using four guys they clearly frustrated King that's another thing that comes into the mix how often have we seen you know a Quincy, random Quincy Patterson, you know, or somebody come out and run for 200 yards on North Carolina from the quarterback position. They hardly gave King anything. I mean, he played his heart out, but, you know, he, they fenced him in pretty much the whole game. So um, I, I do want to not lose sight of how well the defense played against a much improved team in Miami offensively. Well, you teed it up again for me perfectly because um, I was going there. Uh, and a great point on the defensive stat sheet, Surratt at the top with 10, 10 tackles, a couple breakups. One of, the, one of the breakups was just ridiculously um, good reaction by him that saved a first down pass. And then Hopper, or excuse me, Taman Fox, um, had a half sack, half tackle for loss, and one QB hurry. Everybody else is back. And, Jason, with everybody else being back. And for the record, I think the defense turned the corner. Um, I guess it was the Wake Forest game when they put – they said, we're riding with Tony Grimes at corner. And um, that sort of changed things. But Grimes' interception, Jason, uh, break it down because he was beat. Uh, he was beat on that play, and he just – he he makes a play that was another one of those moments was like, this one's over. This, this is over. Yeah, so a couple things. One is, you'll remember from the Game game Plan podcast, I said if, if Jay Bateman held this, this Miami offense in this game to 25 points, then he and the whole defensive staff needed to get steak dinners. Steak dinners. Yeah. <laughs> For a week. If I'm Mac Brown – I just, I just say, you know what? I'm th that one point's on the house because the game was really high paced and the offense scored so much that you know they were gonna. They score had a, a couple of more. two point conversions too, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, th those guys, that defense, are in their stakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they, they took care of business, and the reason that this game got out of hand early is that they got those key stops in the first quarter, hmm. and. You know, a Miami, Miami's offense and, and, you know, this Malzahn branch, uh, you know, the, the Lashley offense, the, the, his particular fork of the Malzahn offense, but a lot of the Malzahn uh, family of offenses tend to be offenses that once they get rolling and they get some momentum, it can be real trouble. And especially you get that quarterback run that's a big threat. And 
the quarterback starts doing his thing and then you have to adjust to that. And then they've got the counter to that. And then all of a sudden just things are spiraling and they, you know, all of a sudden they're putting up 55, 60 points. But on the flip side, if you can stop them from being able to do some of the base stuff they want to do early and reverse that momentum and take the physical to them a little bit, you can sometimes get that the other way. And Carolina managed to do that. So before I even get to Grimes interception, Talk about those. One of the plays that really stood out to me was the tackle for loss by Conley early. In, I think it was the third drive. When I saw that tackle for loss that then gave them, a, I think it was a second and 17 play after that. Those are the circumstances. That's the leverage where, where a defense is going to be at a huge advantage, and especially against a team that does not do a lot of drop back, drop back passing. And so they were able – in the, in that, on those first three, four series, they were able to stop the run by and large. I mean, King got some, you know, eight, 10-yard runs here and there, but those were stopped at eight, 10 yards. Nothing was a big play. And then they were able to, to guess right a few times. It was clear that they were really prepared on tendencies that, oh, this guy's coming in motion. I'm, I'm triggering now, and I'm getting that tackle for loss. And there were a few of those where they were able to get – into the backfield and make some tackles for loss on, in the running game that changed the game. It changed the whole complexion of the game because they, they handled their business on the offense and then or on the defensive side. And then the offense, of course, scored 28 points in that first frame. So at that point, you're, 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 you're able to do all those other things. And so then they have to challenge you downfield and they have to start playing catch up. And that's when the Grimes interception comes in. And I agree with you that I think the defense by and large started to turn a corner when Grimes became the second corner there, partly because so much of what any defense wants to do, and especially a coordinator like Bateman who wants to be able to do a lot of different things and show you different looks and uh, it's this, oh, but it's not, you know, these sorts of things that he likes to do. You can't really mess around too much when you, when your corners can't cover, when you can't reliably sit there and say, okay, let's go ahead and circle those two guys. Those guys are out of play. You know, you guys just do your job. And then everybody else we can, we can play with. But those two, you know, when you can circle those guys and say, we're going we're gonna to handle business there, and, and we don't, we're not afraid of them just shelling us on the outside, the whole defense can change. And he has freedom to call what he wants. And Kyler McMichael, in, on that early – they, they tried to they, – they, Miami early in this game tried to challenge the corners deep, challenge North Carolina's secondary deep. They wanted to run the football and challenge you deep. And we talked about that. You know, you brought, the, brought up the quote, Tommy. Uh, I think it was you. You or Greg read the quote where it was, we want to run the football – we run the football to win uh, – run the football – what is – what did last run, say? We, we, run to win, pass the score or something like that. Yeah, yeah, run to win, pass the score. Well, that, they tried to do that. They tried to run the football and then throw over the top to get a few cheap scores. And McMichael, first, thing, first time they tested him, he nearly picked it off. Slightly underthrown, but he was right there. Made up the ground, got both hands on the football, and that sent a message, your guy can't run by me. Right? And your quarterback can't throw it past me. All right. And then Grimes, when they tested him, yeah, you're right. He, actually, he was initially in perfect coverage. And then he tried to look back for it because he was in phase. And that's when you look back for the ball. And then he got a little separated, right? And once that separation happened, he's out of, he's out of phase. 
say, oh, you know, just a little bit, little bit out. The thing that stands out to me is he didn't panic. And this is something, this has been a mantra of mine the last couple of years. This is something Dre Bly has done a fantastic job of with his corners is when you're a little beat on those deep routes, you just cannot panic. Because it's when you panic as a corner and you then try to rush in and, you know, close the gap too quickly and all that, then you get a, a pass interference and any positive outlook on the play is gone. So, you know, the thing you have to persuade your corner when you're coaching them, and it's not just telling them this, it's getting them to buy in and do it. And that's the thing. It's, it's repping it enough in practice to where they, they, they do this right. Okay, you're out of phase because you're not always going to be in phase. You're, there are going to be times where a guy's going to be behind you. Out of phase, again, means your, your hips are behind his hips, essentially. He's, he's got a, you're, you're trailing. All right, so now what do you do? Well, there's two possibilities here. One is that the quarterback leads him just enough, and he puts it out there. And now it's, you know, that guy's going to run to the ball, and you just have to make up any ground you can and tackle him from behind, right? So just keep running. Two is the quarterback underthrows a little bit, and he's going to have to come back. And he's going to have to come back through you. So you got to get your eyes on that guy's hips so that if you see him start to put the brakes on a little bit, now you start to put the brakes on yourself and you find his hands. And that's the thing that, that well-coached DBs do is they don't run right through the guy as though like, oh, no, it's panic. Their eyes are still disciplined. You're still watching him to see, is he putting the brakes on? All right, he's putting the brakes on. That means that ball's underthrown. So now – I got to put my brakes on a little bit so I don't run through him. And now I got to find his hands. So now I know that the brakes are on, find his hands, and then get my hands up through him. And then, you know, what you're supposed to do is just punch through the ball, basically. But in some cases, if that guy gets his hands on the ball and all that, then you've got your, hand, you've got your eyes and your hands there. Now be the bigger man. Wrestle, wrestle that ball away. And that's what Grimes did, step by step. Out of phase, like you said, beat. But he showed the catch-up speed. And then to me, the, this is the thing. You just don't see many freshmen, let alone guys that are supposed to be in high school, that don't panic there. That are on an island, they're beat, doesn't panic, gets his eyes in the right discipline, shows, shows that he trusts his coaching and says, I'm going to get my hands here. I'm not going to interfere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle for this ball. Oh, whoa, I, I got the ball. All of that, it's the physical tools and more importantly, the discipline of, being, of doing all that correctly that leads to that. And again, when you've got two corners that can cover, that can take receivers away, that, can, that are not just going to get beat deep, that aren't going to get run by, everything changes for your defense because you can add that extra guy to the run, to, to the run a little bit. You can, you can bring an extra guy in pressure. You can do all these things without going, well, 50-50 that my corner gets run by for a touchdown here. <laughs> It, change, it changes you, the game, absolutely. Yeah, you know, uh, my take on that interception, far less technical and far less uh, probably accurate than Jason's, but here's kind of how I see it a little bit, is that there are different varieties of interceptions, right? Some guy just makes a great read, jumps a route, and he's, you know, happens to be, somewhere the quarterback didn't expect him to be. Um, and a uh, <laughs> funny sign. So uh, the um, 
on YouTube. You won't see the sign on the radio version. But anyway, <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's a quarterback that misreads the safety and coverage. The safety gets over there and makes a catch. And, and so you got to worry about those kinds of interceptions. But when you throw the ball to one of your better receivers downfield against a corner and what should be a 50-50 ball turns into an interception, that is going to damper your enthusiasm for going back to that guy again. You're going to be pretty – wait a minute. I'm not really sure I want to throw a 50-50 ball you know, even though I've got a lot of confidence in my receiver because as much confidence as I got in my receiver, I'm also scared to death of that corner that, uh, you know, he, he's, if it's a 50, 50 ball, it might be more 80, 20 towards him. So I may not go down that road again. Once I've had that experience as, you know, I threw it to my best wide receiver, great hands, 50, 50 ball, and he didn't get it. The other team did. So, uh, I think that, sort of cuts into your playbook at that point um, and prevents you from doing some of the things you'd like to do, like throw it deep, as Jason was saying. Yeah, I mean, that's what Dre Bly and Robert Williams did in Mac Brown's best teams. I mean, you take it away. And you could see King a lot of times, he'd drop back and look at a guy and realize it was not there and it was an oh, you know what moment. And then he's got pressure coming at him. Just a couple housekeeping things, looking at the stats, and I don't, know if everybody um, has access to all the official stats but listen to these numbers guys time of possession in the second half 25 45 for carolina 415 for miami time of possession in the third quarter in winning time or ending time for north carolina 1359 to 101 in the third quarter carolina had the ball 14 minutes Jason, and, it goes and, back. And overall, it was like 40-20, right? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Just, uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Jason, we're going to come back after the break and talk and about the, the long-term. defense taking care of business, folks. That's when, when you see that disparity, that's the defense. Yeah. I mean, rush yards in the third quarter only. Carolina 213, Miami zip. I mean – Jason, have you seen you've watched Carolina and you've broken it down, and I can't wait to see some of your breakdowns from this game. Um, but to me, it looked like what Buck talked about. You've got corners that can shut the field down. Did you see anything differently Bateman was doing, um, especially in you know throughout the game? But in in this time, it just looked to me like he was able to call the game for his front seven, extremely comfortable that his. Uh, defensive backfield was going to keep it in check, except for one play to Brevin Jordan. And, and look, Brevin He's going to get his. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that guy's a stud. And, yeah. Um, the fact that he only got one is was shocking to me. But did Bateman do anything differently in this one, Jason? Not really to my eye. It's just straight up that they executed. Yep. I mean, they, they – I bet you and, – and, and this is something I, I might do – since we got a little time and I'm planning on doing more than one week's worth of uh, video breakdowns in this game. I think it's worth, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of material there to break down in there. Yeah. There's, there's some things to have some fun with on this one, but, uh, you know, I, I bet you, if you go back and you look at what they did against Miami last year, defensively, 
that it's almost exactly the same kinds of things. If, if you're looking at down and distance, I mean, it's a different offense. They're running a different offense. But down and distance and formationally, if they're in the same formation and the same down and distance, it's very similar calls. And the same thing all year. I mean, it, he didn't do a whole lot that was unexpected. But what changed is both corners took care of business. So I mean, you got to remember, there was, there was, when, when the defense was struggling the most this year, it was when McMichael was not available, when Renee was not available or was still hobbled some, and when, uh, and when Storm Duck was out. So you didn't have any of those guys. And, and 20, Grimes was not ready. So you're looking at when they had the most trouble on defense, they didn't have corners they could trust. Not like that. Then you get Michael and, and Grimes out there playing like they, like they played yesterday. And all of a sudden, you feel like you can cover just about anybody. And you're not worried about getting run by. And you can do – the only difference is that they, they, could, they could be a little freer bringing that extra safety up or, or bringing the backer – telling the backer to trigger on some things because they, they felt comfortable there. So that's the number one thing is that teams weren't just beating them on the outside – but the number two thing is just on personnel, the guys that could execute, Conley made a huge difference in this game. I mean, I don't think that can be emphasized too much. His, his ability to be an extra linebacker in the run game and an extra safety in the pass game. And, his, and we said coming into this game that their biggest matchup, the biggest issue is going to be Brevin Jordan and those tight ends, Jordan and Mallory. And, and that they needed to find a way to match up and, and that you'd probably have to see a big game from Conley. He was a guy that, like, look, if there <laughs> – something – if you remember, I said, look, if, if this is – in the Game Plan podcast, they're going to have success. You're going to have to have Murphy, Conley, and Grimes all play to, their, to the level that they need to play at. Those guys need to flash. They need to show out. Because if those guys do it, then you're starting to see – the pieces that actually can play physically at the level that, that, need, that you need to to beat a Miami team on defense. And that helps everybody else around them. Well, Conley came out and made a statement from the beginning. I'm here. I'm not, I'm not a matchup. It's not a mismatch against me when you put Brevin Jordan out there and he has the ball in the open field. I'm making that tackle and I'm coming up like a heat-seeking missile and I'm making the tackle with confidence and with physicality. Oh, really? You can be like that tonight, right? And then you get the tackle for loss on the, on on the, the uh, second drive. Miami's second drive. Second drive. Second or third, yeah. Hmm. And then you get uh, – there, there was another one where he, he came up and made a huge, a huge hit. I don't remember which drive it was, but it was one of those – you know, he it was like, oh, that's a, physical, that's a physical play right there, and that's a freshman. And you started seeing those things – and it's like, okay, the guys that they would potentially want to pick on because they're freshmen, those guys are not, are not a problem. And then you started seeing some of the things where King would drop back, and just like we said needed to happen, he would drop back and you'd see the arms. There weren't any deflections that I can remember, but he was uncomfortable. The defensive tackles were able to get, to, get some compression. They were able, to get, they were able to, to get some wins up front, and that allowed them – this is the biggest thing. And Buck, I think you said it earlier, Bateman didn't have to blitz a bunch. If you're able to get pressure with four, 
and then you've got two corners that can really cover. You can do a lot of things. Then you're, you're on your way to being not just a good, but an elite defense. That's elite defenses are defenses that can stop the run on first down and then can get pressure on the quarterback with four and have two corners that can take away the outside receivers. That's an elite defense. Yep. Carolina saw it two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what, that's what you, that's what you're looking for. Now they didn't quite show out to the level of elite, but they, they showed little signs of, you know, get a few other pieces here, get a little growth and, you know, elite might be within, within reach within a couple of years. And that, that was, that was something. And, you know, I have to think, by the way, Miami might've known what was coming here. Might've known before the rest of us, they might've had some inkling that, that this was, this was going to be what it was. Cause they did come, they did come to this game dressed as dressed for a funeral. So <laughs> you've seen that tweet too, I guess from, uh, Barstool, where they showed the uniforms they came out with. And uh, I guess the guy covers Miami for Barstool. And he said that if you were uh, North Carolina and you saw Miami come out in those uniforms, you just get back on the bus and go home and call it a season. And mm. uh, he, I'm, uh, thinking they, I'm thinking they, they took that a different way. Oh, you guys are coming for your own funeral, huh? Well, that's yeah. nice. You came dressed in black and mourning and all this because uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna need, need that black later. Yeah, I resisted the urge heavily to, to tweet that very early on um, because, like <laughs> I said earlier, I've, I've been down that road way too much. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk about – the long-term implications of this win and this season for North Carolina football. But first, I'm going to talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. It's almost Christmas time. We're getting close, folks. You need to uh, send your money to Johnny T-Shirt and get all the Carolina gear you need. Uh, they are wonderfully alumni-owned and operated, and they're great friends of Inside Carolina and this podcast. And, of course, if they're sponsors of us, that means they care about our listeners, our readers. Uh, they care about buck they care about jason and me so we need to care about them the same way and shop there 10 percent off your order if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber uh. if you are not uh you need to ask for it for christmas if you're not uh, at some point you got to get on the bus the bus is leaving the station i think i heard wallace expressway uh from my buddy uh, joey powell many times yesterday uh, you want to be on that bus North Carolina football about to take off Carolina basketball. They'll get that figured out, but Johnny t-shirt regardless. will have you clothed and uh, set up for whatever you need to do. Take a short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. Come back on the day after podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Buck and Jason. We'll be right back. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, boys. Uh, Buck, come back to you. Come back to where I started. Uh, Carolina has put themselves in position to play in the Orange Bowl if it all shakes out. Uh, I said off the air, and folks watching on YouTube, I am wearing this shirt for a reason. Um, because they need a little orange help to get to that point. But, Buck, if you'd have told me two years ago, uh, after coming off five wins in two years, and they hired Mike Brown, which I love to hire. Don't get me wrong, we talked about it. Jason, you're still on the hook a little bit for that one. But you come around. You come around. Buck, this team can play in the Orange Bowl on January 2nd, I believe it is. What in the hell's going on, man? I mean, is this real life? Seriously, Carolina football fans have to ask that question. Is it real life? (laughs) Well, here's kind of where I would go um, with with that topic, just thinking about uh, previous UNC uh, coaching regimes. And, you know, with – you know, I, I wasn't a huge Larry Fedora critic. Um, I tended to err on the side of uh, uh, supporting Fedora um, more often than being critical. But what I'm seeing now, and I hope it's not a hallucination, um, uh, is that what North Carolina looks like they're doing looks to be sustainable and and i never got that feeling with fedora i think with fedora it was if he's got the right quarterback and he's got the right offense he's got the right pieces around that quarterback you know then they could be really good but with with um mac i i feel like the things he's doing on defense and recruiting um, trying to get the special team thing sorted out. Um, the offensive line development, um, you know, different aspects of every corner of the program, really, that as long as he keeps that focus where it is and continues along those lines, you know, I, I don't expect this, uh, orange bowl trip, um, to be a one-off in the future. Um, and I don't think it'll be another, um, what, 70 years uh, since North Carolina's been to a major bowl. Um, you know, and particularly the implications of the Miami game, if you look at it, Miami is probably um, North Carolina's major competition in the coastal you know, for the next several years. I mean, Virginia Tech might be good again or good next year. Who knows? Um, Virginia under Bronco is going to be Virginia under Bronco. Uh, Georgia Tech has been recruiting fairly decently, but and they might make some noise next year. We don't know. Uh, but 
North Carolina is going to be a player in the coastal for the foreseeable future. If the coastal championship is probably going to have to come through Chapel Hill. If you're going to win, you know, you, you're going to have to take care of North Carolina to get there. And that's going to be a change for everybody because the coastal vision was, you know, for so long, you know, whoever happened to be hot that year, it wasn't sustainable one year to the next, you know, seven different champions in seven years. So, um, as odd and as, uh, surreal as it feels for North Carolina to be going to the orange bowl, I really don't expect that to be, uh, an uncommon thing, um, in the, in the years to come. Jason, I think the point, and I agree hundred percent with Buck and this is what makes it different. Um, We've seen college football teams that can put up points. I mean, that's just a thing these days. Teams can score left and right, but the ones that can play defense are the ones that are good and or the ones that are elite or that next level. And that, to me, watching you know both this performance yesterday uh, by the young guys and to talk about, look at that stat sheet. Well, two of them are gone next year. The rest are back. That's where it's at, I think, for me. And, and – watching it is it's it's not a and I want to say a fake well, fake mirage is a oxymoron but it's not a mirage in that it just feels like um, wow they're really good but they're not you know what I mean I mean you follow what I'm trying to say there Mac is building it from the inside from the lines out rather than from the skill in and I think that's what makes the difference here um, and makes it real yeah it's the difference between building for the program to hit a few peaks here and there like okay we're going to have our guys all kind of peak at the right time and have a good chance at, at at making some noise and building a program that is that has a a very strong foundation that's going to say look we're going to set the floor right here this is this is where we're going to where we're going to be year in year out just because all of these things are sound the foundation is sound and once you have that then all you need is a few other pieces to click, and that's when you have the, the, big, uh, the big year. But it's basically saying, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to set ourselves up where the foundation is 9, 10 wins. That's, that's, that's what we're setting as, a, as kind of come into the year and expect that because there's going to be nine teams on the schedule that shouldn't be able to beat us. And then, well, if the quarterback is, is that dude, and if you got a couple other pieces – then, you know, maybe, maybe something, something more special. And, and that's the thing. To be an elite, complete teams win championships. That's what you're getting at about, about, you know, being good on offense. I mean, you get teams that are great on defense, and you've always heard, you know, people have always heard or said, you know, defense wins championships. No, it doesn't. Great defense without, without enough offense just means you get beat by less. But complete teams – Offense, defense, special teams are the teams that win, that, that win championships. So you've got to build a strong foundation and generally inside out on both sides of the ball. And once you've done that, when you're building a complete team where each unit kind of works together in, in harmony with the others, then, okay, well, you know, this year didn't have a good year. Nine wins, you know, Gator Bowl or whatever. Okay. And then 
the next year, well, you know, a few turnovers went our way and all that. The 50-50 games we lost last year, those went our way. 12-1 and college football playoff. It, but it's being in that position to where your 50-50 games are the games with the other tops of your conference and you're taking care of business against the rest because you've got the, that strong foundation where there's going to be a level of consistency built in because you're complete. And when the defense has a bit of an off day, the, the offense is going to be good enough to make up for that. And when you know, the skill position guys are not able to just dominate, you're good enough on the interior to be able to handle, handle your business and, and win in workmanlike fashion. Or when they're good enough to handle you on the inside, you've got that one guy that's a problem out there that they can't cover. It's having all of those little pieces in place that fit together to make a complete program. And that's really what, I mean, Mac knows how to build it. He's, he's done it multiple times now. And in my defense, going back to the Mac hire, I did say <laughs> I'm wait and see. I'm not real optimistic because you know, coaches, coaches who've been hired from, you know, from the coaching booth and all that in the past have, and, you know, guys who've returned, that sort of thing has not often gone well, but I want to see, I want to see who he hires with the coordinators. Can he get, and I, I said, I'm, I want to see offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator and strength and conditioning. And can he get top notch guys at all three and if he can get top notch guys at all three then then this is a home run hire because the guy can flat out recruit and he's a, you know all the things you'd want as a ceo well check 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 <laughs> i own down and, the line too with gillespie and galloway and searles all those guys yeah and I, I tell you what how satisfying must it have been for searles to to have his unit do what they did against his, a team that he coached and who was widely uh, criticized, you know, when he came to Carolina, the Miami fans were all over him. Oh, y'all are going to so suck on the offensive line. How satisfying. Uh, I, I, I saw that they cut to him at one point on the sideline, and you could see did. this look after one of those runs where the offensive line was just dominant. And you could see him just kind of like, yep, <laughs> that's my boys, knowing that he was taking it to – a former employer and that there's something really satisfying about that. I'm, I'm sure. What about so, if you're Manny Diaz, I mean, what if the fire Mike Brown firing you is like the second worst thing he did to you on national television. I mean. well, you, here, here's, here's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm curious about. And this, this is, this is more of an off season project. If I can get my hands on that old BYU, Texas tape, because BYU ran for like 600 yards or 500 yards against, against Manny Diaz. <laughs> what was it? 550. 550. They ran, they ran that against Mac Brown when, and, and Texas when Manny Diaz was, was the coordinator at Texas. And generally he had success as a coordinator at Texas until that last year. But they could not stop the run that year. And, and that BYU game really exposed them. I want to go back and take a look at what BYU – I mean, BYU did a lot of it with Taysom Hill at quarterback, so they ran the quarterback a good bit, a good bit more. But I want to take a look at what they did in terms of, of schematically on the running game. Because I, I had this thought. I had this thought about midway through the third quarter of, you know – Maybe Mack and Phil had already done that. And head figured out what yeah. BYU did against Manny. Well, head coaches know what their coordinators do better than anybody else. <laughs> and they know where the weaknesses are. They know where the skeletons are buried, or where the skeletons are and where the bodies are buried. And 
you got to think Mac is going, okay, I know what gave Manny the most trouble when we were, when he was my coordinator. And I think we can do some of the, you got to think that they repped a bunch of the same stuff, the same looks, knowing that they were going to get the same things. I, I got to go back and take a look at, at that at some point in the off season, because this was absolutely Mac. Like you embarrassed me. You embarrassed me when I was at Texas. And now we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do to you what you had done to us, what you caused to be done to us. Cause your defense couldn't stop the stop it when we did this. So here's how we're going to handle it. I'm going to, I'm going to put another 550 yards on you, rushing yards on you. Because I know how it was done then, and we're going to do it again. Yeah, it, it was uh, pretty clear that there were statements being made. I mean, Mac talked about it post game about the thanks for the bulletin board material, ESPN by throwing Miami and Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl before the game was played, and those type of things. Look, we we talk about how nice a man Mac Brown is, and how he's you know like he's a stone cold killer guy. Yeah, he he's 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 he comes across very nice and very personable, but when it comes to stuff like this, like you said, just stone cold. But um, you know, we haven't even talked about the offense that much in detail. Javante's run, we don't really need to. Sam Howell was fantastic, like he always is. Michael Carter, man, that that. Running the football is the second best part of my, Michael Carter, in my opinion. I mean, what a great ambassador for Carolina continues to be. Um, that interview with Maria Taylor was pretty awesome. I mean, the man asked permission to go run and take a picture with his team. Just a, a very cool guy and a hell of a football player. But, but wrap it up for us, or let's start wrapping it up. Uh, ACC championship game, Clemson and Notre Dame. I know that burns in the craw of a lot of people, a lot of traditional ACC people. Um, kind of is what it is, but uh, your thoughts? Well, North Carolina would be playing in that game uh, this weekend. And, you know, we talked about this uh, when Notre Dame crashed the party in the ACC, that uh, it would be very ironic if uh, North Carolina would have been uh, in the ACC championship game, if not for Notre Dame. I think I'm absolutely correct that uh, UNC would have played in a championship game with two losses because their closest contender would have been Miami or NC State. Um, so they beat both of them. They won the head-to-head. Uh, so anyway, that's interesting. Um, but I, I think because we're coming up on it, I'd like to close out um, – by maybe saying that um, the Miami game is probably the greatest recruiting video that Mike Brown Mike Brown could have. Um, if you're young and talented, I'm going to play you. Um, if you're a great running back from the state of North Carolina, well, you know, I just you know, have got two on my team that are over 100 yards per game, two of them. Um, you know, uh, recruiting, you know, all of these games like this, North Carolina doesn't recruit head to head against Miami very often, if, if at all, but the wider message on national TV, everybody's watching. And today on all the websites, everybody's talking about it. I, I think, uh, as far as rec for recruiting purposes, 
getting a win may be one of the bigger implications of this game in the fashion that they got it. I don't think they're going to uh, run into some of the obstacles they have in the past at certain position groups. It's, uh, I just, I just, I gotta, I gotta put this on air. I just saw Jaquarius Conley tweeted the best funeral I've been to just happy. I was in white and blue. <laughs> well, according to hat tip to Taylor Ripples, uh tweet, Carolina missed five tackles yesterday and Connolly led the team with an 84.9 tackling grade freshman. I'd like to see those numbers for Miami. <laughs> it was more than five, but probably more than five. You think I, uh, yeah, like you said, Jason, especially in the second half, a lot of business decisions being made by Miami on True. that field. And, um, yeah, I, I think for everybody to talk about how Miami is Carolina's, uh, competition in the coastal, assuming we go back to the normal, um, divisions and all. And then for Carolina to make a statement like that. And like I said, to do it like they did, I think that matters even more than, in, than winning to do it like they did just straight bully boy football, big boy, bully boy football. Incredible, incredible day for Carolina football. Don't know if it could have gone any better. Not quite sure how it could have eight and three on the season. We wait for Tuesday night, the college football playoff rankings. And then we wait for December 20th for the next matchup. I tell you what, a Texas a and matchup in the Orange Bowl. Good gracious. You're talking about stepping up to the big time. It'll be that. Look forward to Buck's column today. Look forward to Jason's work all week, the breakdowns. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun week at Inside Carolina. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not a premium subscriber. And make sure you're there on the message boards. And make sure you support Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Boys, it's been a pleasure. These are all, we've always said it. These are always more fun when Carolina wins the ball game, and that'll be a wrap on this season. Thanks, Buck. Thanks, Twenty Jay. missed tackles for Miami. <laughs> always fun, guys. Always you, fun. Look, look, last question: Can you miss a tackle if you don't even try? How many? It, I, I'm guessing that there that, that those don't even count. So there's there's more than twenty in there. <laughs> if you run out of the area where the ball, <laughs> which we saw, carrier is. Business decisions don't go into that. 20 missed tackles, 25 business decisions. All right, boys, it's been fun. <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Later. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.